know that people who feel good about their body, it is about feeling at peace and at home in their body. And that's something that we get wrong a lot of the time. We think that positive body image is all about liking what you see when you look in the mirror. And it isn't about that. The irony is, is that diet culture and all these industries that benefit from us feeling bad about our body, they profit from that deliberate misunderstanding of what body image is, because they tell us that if you change the way your body looks, you're going to feel better about your body, you know, but actually the research shows that that isn't the case, because as soon as we put too much value on what our body looks like, we are disconnected from how our body feels. Hello and welcome to the Grounded Families podcast with me, Julia Goodall, psychologist and coach. This is a podcast for all families navigating life, love and relationships. We delve into our stories and experiences of family and how these go on to shape and change who we are. I'm so happy to have you here. Hello and welcome to this week's episode. This week on the podcast, I speak with the wonderful Molly Forbes. Molly is an author, she's the director of the Body Happy organization, and she's a co-host of her own podcast called Body Cons Podcast, and I think she hosts this with Lottie Story. Molly is the author of this beautiful, beautiful book called Body Happy Kids, How to Help Children and Teens Love the Skin They're In. And apart from being a physically beautiful book, it is, I think, really such an important book and such a needed book, and while it of course focuses on kids and teens, I think that it's also quite a healing book to read as an adult, looking at some of the things that we may have been taught growing up around kind of good food, bad food, good bodies, bad bodies. There was so much of that growing up in the 80s and 90s. She also talks about toys for kids and just so, so much. I really, really, really recommend having this in your home. It's the type of book that you, I think, will dip into at different times um, when your kids are different ages. And if you don't have children, I, I still think it's worth reading this because it feels like such a healing book to read. So I hope you enjoy this episode. If you do, please do like and subscribe. It really, really helps to get the podcast heard by more people. Enjoy. Welcome to this week's episode. This week, I'm speaking to the wonderful Molly Forbes. Thanks so much for joining me, Molly. Thank you so much for having Having me. I'm really, I'm really excited about this. It's like a nice way to start the week. <laughs> yeah. This was a bit of a shock, this um starting. That's actually why I do podcasts on a Tuesday to avoid the Monday feeling. Yeah. And this morning I had a bit of a just race around and get the kids to school. And I felt like, oh my goodness, it feels just like a Monday. <laughs> yeah. Same, same oh, here. No. It's been one of those like starts to the day, but I feel like I can just like take a breath now. We'll just have a really nice chat. Have a lovely chat. <laughs> yes. Well, welcome. Molly, if I could get you just to introduce yourself and say a bit about how you've got to where you are right now. I always find it really hard when I need to introduce myself because I wear quite a lot of different hats. So I'm a mum. I've got two daughters who are six and ten. I have worked as a journalist or in the media industry 
my whole adult life. But I went freelance about 10 years ago from having worked in radio um, and been a radio presenter and a newsreader and a reporter. And at that point, I started writing for magazines as well. And I did more work online. And now I work as a director of a social enterprise, which is all about promoting positive body image in kids. I talk a lot about body image and children and mental health at events or for corporate events or on the telly and radio. I have a podcast and I'm a writer. I've just written a book which was published in April. So yeah, I've got kind of lots of different hats, um, campaigner as well. It's all about body image. It's all about promoting positive body image in children and helping adults help the kids in their care be friends with their bodies. And I guess my background as a journalist, it seems like a like, oh, that's a bit of a random leap. But actually, there's so many crossovers with, you know, the world of media and, you know, how we think and feel about our bodies and my skills in communication and writing obviously lend themselves as well mm. to kind of what I do now. So yeah, it's, yeah, it's kind prep. of random, but oh, yes, not at exactly. all. I feel like it prepares <laughs> you so well for also dealing with all of the, I guess, like hype around your book and having to deal with people around that. Yeah. Yeah. When I read that you were a, a radio presenter, so I didn't grow up in this country, so forgive me if I didn't know that. But yeah, I thought like, oh, that's amazing because you're sort of in that world already and very steeped in it. Yeah, mm. exactly. And that was kind of part of the problem, I think, really, okay. for me. And the irony that um, I have worked in newsrooms and in an industry I know all the tricks of the trade to sell a story, you know, mm. and yeah, I wasn't practicing those kind of media literacy skills when it came to my own body and the bodies that I was seeing and talking about the celebrities. And I got quite sucked into that kind of mm. hype in a way without even realizing it. But now I'm able to kind of step back and have a bit of perspective. And I think actually having that background mm. is really useful. Um, and there's also, I think, what I tried to do with my book, which I'm sure, sure we'll talk about um, in a minute, but the subject of body image is such a broad subject. Mm. It impacts so many different areas, you know, and there's all these amazing academics and activists and educators working in really specific niche areas within yeah. the field. And so what I love doing is using my journalism skills to kind of bring all these different areas of expertise together to mm. kind of provide a really broad overview to the subject mm. um and you've done and that so beautifully because oh, you, you. I mean, you cover your book as a it's like it's a dense kind of manual as well there's so much in there um, and you do co cover the most broad um, spectrum of things like you talk about toys and you obviously talk about um, body image but I loved how you pull up, pull all of those strings together um, and make it feel quite cohesive, that it makes yeah. sense that all of these things are joined. They're not, like you say, individual niches. No, and that's kind of the issue, I think, is that none of these things exist in silos. So the way we talk about food and the toys that our children play with and the TV that they watch and, mm -hmm. you know, the ideas that we have around health and the language that we use when we're talking about emotions and gender stereotypes and fashion and clothes, all of these things impact how children and adults actually feel about their bodies yeah. and you know, what I wanted to do was really kind of 
paint a picture of an overall culture and an overall view that mm-hmm. is actually, you know, when we, whenever we, if we take one thing, for example, like, I don't know, social media filters, that's one part of the overall picture. It's one piece of the jigsaw puzzle. Um, if you take, you know, uh, the way that we talk about food, that's one part. You know, if mm-hmm. we take dolls and the toys, like all of those and actually, we need to take a step back and look at the bigger picture mm-hmm. in order to see, you know, A, why more and more kids are starting to feel bad about their body and also to kind of identify some of those messages and then take a proactive approach to making things better. Mm-hmm. And that was what I was really keen to do mm-hmm. with my book. So I'm glad that you felt yeah. that that resonated. Gosh, it really did. I feel it also takes the pressure of kind of individual responsibility, which I think for me was so important reading this book is that you, I mean, we we grew up in the same, we're basically the same age. And so we've grown up through the 90s and all of the kind of toxicity that came with that but what I loved is that you you give that social context and that's kind of you know socio-political context so that you know that we don't have poor body image because there's something wrong with us we have um you know struggles with these things because of the way that we've grown up and the things we've absorbed no matter what our parents have done and related so much also what you say about I was never allowed Barbies, just like a kind of fairly sort of silly example. And I railed against that sort of stuff because I just felt like, but why? And it it made me in some ways more obsessed with the idea of that sort of body and the obsessed, like, it's like this pinnacle of what you want and what you need and what you should be, the social credit. But I love anyway that you give this um, like socio-political context that you know this is not an individual fault of people, no. um, that there's, there's a reason this has come up for us. It's really interesting to me when I hear a lot of the justifications for some of the really harmful interventions that are happening, Mm. that lots of, you know, people who maybe don't take kind of a weight inclusive view of health, for example, or have an idea of the bigger picture, Mm. their reasoning, and it always comes from a place of good intention. So like their reasoning for putting a kid on a diet, for example, and really kind of trying to change the shape of their child's body Mm. is often because they want their child to be more confident. They don't want their child to be bullied Mm. at school. And that's understandable because we know that, you know, when it comes to weight, we know that kids who are in higher weight bodies are more likely to be bullied in school. And that's from the World Health Organization. But my argument is that actually the problem isn't the kids' bodies. The problem is the culture. We don't need to change Mm. children's bodies. We need to look at the culture and the Mm. society and the kind of these ideas that they're growing up in. And those are the things that we need to challenge. And I think also it's important that when it comes to the way that kids and adults actually think and feel about our bodies... I think it's empowering to be able to think, right, actually, there are some things that we can do on an individual level to feel better because we we do all live in this culture. And it is, you know, unsurprising that so many people struggle with feeling bad about their body when all of the messages that are coming Mm -hmm. at them are telling them that their bodies are wrong. So it's kind of unsurprising, but that doesn't mean that we have to just accept that and live Mm -hmm. with it. Yeah, there are things we can do, but... I also think that that kind of means nothing if we're not also doing stuff that challenges those messages that are coming for us in the first place. Mm. And just like health isn't 
all about individual responsibility. There are so many different things that impact our health that we don't have control over. I think when it comes to body image, we need to take the same view. If we want to improve the health of you know, society and we want people to um, have equal access to a healthy life, then we need to look at, you know, some of the things that prevent people from engaging with health behaviours, for example. Mm. But then we also need to look at some of the things that are making people feel bad about their bodies, because that's a really important part of health. And it's not fair just to put all the individual responsibility on parents, you know, Mm. to make their kids feel good or on us as individuals yeah it needs to be a collective thing as well absolutely and it's kind of zooming in and out between those two that that needs to be constant yeah have have you got any advice about how to deal with things like that with schools Mm. i wonder because i find there's lots of problematic stuff and again in well-meaning places you know Mm. and i know my kids go to a really lovely school and really lovely teachers and always kind of doing the best that they can but they still have like stickers for finishing their food and they still have lots of chat about this is good food and this is bad food and bad food equates to fatness and I find that Mm. yeah I find it painful to listen to and even today um, my eldest has gone in for a they're having a yes day which is like a really lovely day when they get to decide a lot of what they do and just kind of off the cuff remark that um, my son made as we left is that he said I wonder if they'll let us have pudding first and I just thought and it's in the context of this morning this kind of Monday feeling morning and I I get real stabs around stuff like that I just think oh no (laughs) you know so do you have any advice around dealing with schools or things like that oh it's so tricky isn't it Mm -hmm. I know I've had I've had similar difficult conversations with my kids schools and they go to a brilliant school and they've got wonderful teachers but unfortunately Mm. weight stigma is systemic yeah a lot of people don't realize that they have biases you know anti-fat bias because it's an internalized subconscious bias we don't know Mm. where our blind spots are and also because of the way that health is often discussed in our culture it's just a given that actually, you know, we need to be teaching kids about good and bad food. It's just so normalised, this language. And what's really interesting to me and and such a shame is that all of the academic research is a huge body of evidence that shows that talking about food in this way and teaching children about food in this way, not only does it have no benefit, it doesn't lead children to eat more nutrient-dense food, but also it has the opposite effect. It can be really harmful. And I think what we're looking at is a lack of awareness in schools and a Mm. lack of support. And I'm married to a teacher and I'm from a family of teachers. Both my parents were teachers. I've got loads of teachers in my family. I know how hard teachers work and how, you know, they want the best for the children in Mm. their care. And the way that, you know, food education is currently being delivered and, you know, food policing in school dinner halls. It all comes from a place of good intention and just a total lack of awareness. And so what I'm doing with the Body Happy Org, which is a social enterprise that I run, we are directly working with teachers. So we run workshops and we are creating, we've got a whole team of teachers, including two nutritionists as well. So we've got a registered nutritionist and one of our teachers is also a nutritionist and a food education teacher. And we're working to create a whole range of food education resources that allow teachers to tick off the parts of the national curriculum that they need to deliver, but to do it in a non-problematic way. And I think that we can only do this and achieve this 
if we a shine a light on the dangers of poor body image because i think there's a real lack of awareness around what body image even is and why it's important and then b shine a light on shine a light on some of the messages that children are getting and recognize how some of the um strategies that that the public health strategies that have been brought in the Mm. anti quote-unquote obesity strategies are actually causing harm and Mm. they are having the opposite intended effect they're Mm. leading to poorer health outcomes um in kids and adults and i think that so my advice really is that if you're a parent and you're concerned about this i I am very much a fan of like calling in rather than calling out. Teachers work so hard. And if mistakes are being made, I don't think it's a deliberate, I don't think it's an intentional thing. So I am very much a fan of gently raising awareness and letting teachers know what support is available to them so Mm. for example we have a information pack on our website that you can download that includes a template letter that we've already written for you that literally just says kind of why body image is a thing in a really gentle non-confrontational respectful manner and just a raises awareness about the work that we do so like the workshops that we have for teachers and the resources Um, because I think that a lot of the time for parents I mean I'm the same it's deeply uncomfortable to have Mm. to have these conversations and sometimes you just don't have the energy for it or Mm. you just don't want to be that parent Mm. who's the complainer (laughs) Um, you know (laughs) so having having someone else you know having already written the letter and done it in a really nice way we know from all the people that have been sending that letter to their schools we've had a really positive reaction to it I think that as soon as you go in and and you sort of teachers feel got at Mm. there's never going to you're just going to end up yeah. with You've just broken that communication no dialogue yeah. exactly yeah. um and there needs to be a real open dialogue mm. with all this stuff because it is very sensitive mm. and we need to be allowed to listen yeah. and just also recognize that teachers have it tough and they're expected yeah. to do so many different things and wear so many hats mm. gosh so, yeah I also i mean <laughs> i come from a family of teachers as well and yeah I just know how they work and work and work. And I feel, I mean, in this country also, your hours at school are so much longer. Mm-hmm. Um, and seeing the way that teachers work here for not a great amount of money either. Mm-hmm. Um, and to see, yeah. So it, it definitely isn't an attack or a um, or something to feel ugh, like it's a punitive thing. And yeah. I think that's part of it to take some of the sting out of it. But having a conversation about what's working here and what really isn't. Um, yeah. So and yeah, that's useful. coming at it from a really pragmatic, evidence-based yep. stance, because mm. food and body image can be really emotive subjects. And as mm. adults, we carry a lot of baggage around this stuff. Yeah. So coming at it from a really pragmatic, practical, non-kind mm. of emotive stance to say, right, what's best for the children? Mm. What does the evidence show? Um, if we want to achieve these outcomes what does the evidence show is the best way to go about this? Mm. You know, rather than getting into, we don't need to, you know, get into big kind of heated debates around Mm. this stuff. It can sometimes go that way because it's an emotive subject, but we are very much about meeting people where they're at. And I hope that that's what I do with my book. Mm. I acknowledge in my book that in the past, I've been part of the problem, the way that Mm. I've talked about food, the things that I've role modelled in front of my children have not been positive. Mm. But I believe that once you know, you can 
do better you know I yeah. learned and now I try to do better and I'm sure I will still continue to learn because I'm a mm. human being just like anyone else you know no one has this stuff sussed completely mm. and I think just being really gentle with ourselves and also with the other adults in our kids life yeah just kind of acknowledging that this stuff is tricky Ooh, it's so tricky and we all and just need a bit more support with it and I love that you talk about support rather than sort of calling people out because it is I mean it's I think food is so tied to nurture and tied to love and tied to acceptance and just so many things and so sometimes I feel like we're having a conversation with someone about food but actually we're talking about totally you know potentially different things yeah. um, and we don't even know what we're speaking to in someone else's experience and past and so it is a really kind of fragile and sensitive topic um so yeah i think that's important to say it really is and also food is such an important part of how we celebrate our culture yeah. you know and our family stories and so if we think about you know schools are doing such brilliant work to talk about you know acceptance and diversity and mm. they're starting to talk about representation and these like big subjects for kids and i mm. know you know in my own kids school they've done some great stuff on these subjects um and to kind of make the whole school environment feel more inclusive for everyone. Mm. But actually, if we are going around talking about this food is bad and this food is good, what we are, what we might be doing is, you know, inadvertently stigmatizing a child's culture, you know, but yeah. also their, their family background because people's income affects what access they have to food. Yeah. And absolutely. so it's a really sensitive thing. And I just think it's I think that those those um, dots haven't been um, mm. joined together in a lot of in a lot of you know the cases that I hear where kids are picking picking up some really problematic mm. messages around food. I mean, I had you know I heard from someone recently whose twelve year old had heard at school she'd come home and she'd heard that she shouldn't eat bread or she shouldn't eat too much bread and so she'd had a bagel and then felt guilty about having a bagel oh, at the no. weekend and the mum was trying to unpick like what mm. on earth where's this come from and it had come from a food tech oh, class no. yeah. and obviously the teacher was just bringing her own stuff to that lesson mm. thinking you know and not you know it's not her fault these are ideas, you know, how many yeah, times have we heard carbs being evil, you exactly. know, totally vilified. Yeah. Um, but unfortunately, all of these, you know, mm. messages are swirling around along with everything else. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> and it is yeah. easy to kind of get overwhelmed by that. And that's also why I love this book is that because it's this kind of net of information that positions things so that you understand why, as opposed to here are a thousand tips and tricks you have to do, which don't really make sense and so then they're not meaningful and that's why I think something a book like yours is so it's like collated everything so that you understand the kind of theory behind it and why those things are problematic and and what to do instead um and I feel like that's important I think that comes up a lot in just general parenting that people often seem to get stuck on lists of this is what we must do and this is what we mustn't do you know not necessarily like an understanding of but why and does that even work for your family and is that even applicable to you and you know all those sorts of things so yeah. Molly could you tell us a little bit about if it's okay about your journey into I want to say into your body yeah <laughs> in some ways sure. yeah I grew up in the 90s, which is when, you know, models like Kate Moss were kind of the pinnacle. And then sort of late 90s, early 2000s, it was all about Paris Hilton and Nicole Ritchie, that kind of visible yeah. collarbone and Gosh, thigh gap yeah. and all of that kind of stuff. 
as a kid, I was quite a skinny kid with quite broad shoulders and I was late to develop, you know, so like I developed boobs later than a lot of my friends. I had really short hair when I was in year seven, which so it was like 11 to 12. I had like a really short hairstyle and a flat chest because I hadn't developed. Whereas a lot of my friends, their bodies were developing. And it wasn't until that age, I think, that I started feeling a little bit self-conscious. Well, because boys at school were nasty and mean and called me names. You know, my nickname in year seven was Little Man. And he used to walk down the corridor and like the older kids would be like, little man, little man, his little man. And I would think out roots of like what other diversions that I could go around so I wouldn't have to walk past this group of kids mm. and all of that. And, and actually the thing is, I was like a straight size, skinny, white, cisgender child. So actually yeah. comparatively to what a lot of, you know, my friends were going through, it was, it was nothing, but mm. all of it together was, you know, seeing the images in the magazines and this is before social media so which I'm actually really grateful for both my parents were teachers like I said before so they were very aware and my mum's a feminist so they were aware of the harms of you know body ideals and beauty ideals and stuff and I wasn't allowed a Barbie when I was growing up and I think my parents were quite aware but then at the same time I was still growing up in this culture Mm -hmm. and my parents weren't immune to it you know they still you know had their own stuff I'm sure and so you know hearing from extended family and messages at school and other kids and seeing how other children were treated I learned from a really young age that it was bad to be fat and that in order to you know get respect and be popular you needed to look a certain way and it wasn't enough to just not be fat you also had to really strive to be very thin but as well as being thin you had to look you know what womanly Mm. you know quote unquote womanly you know and so I was sporty I enjoyed dance I liked food but I still was just a normal teenager so would often you know have like moments of real insecurity but it was never an issue really until I had my second daughter and my, I, I think that looking back, I've unpicked a lot of this. So I think looking back, what I really needed was a bit of space to myself, <laughs> a bit of time in my week to go for a walk on my own yeah. or just do something that was like healing and nice and nurturing for myself. Mm. But I had two children my baby did not sleep I was breastfeeding her and she was she still is I mean she's wonderful but really tactile so wanted to be like on me all the time and I often felt like my body wasn't actually my own Mm. you know like existed for the purpose of other people and at the same time I'd gone from working in like a real buzzy radio station and being on air and doing this really cool like job with loads of other people around to then we relocated and moved to the countryside in Devon and I was just sort of doing online articles or writing Mm. for magazines bits and bobs it was a total change and didn't have like a real big support network down here at that time because we just moved and I think I was just finding myself again I was settling into a new identity Mm. of working out who I was as a new mum of two Mm. and my confidence really took a battering and the way that I 
dealt with that was to try and change my body you know and I just thought well if I can get my mm. pre-baby body back I'll get my pre-baby yeah. life back in some way yeah I think it's like a site of control in some way you can absolutely. do something about this yeah it was a real subconscious thing I don't think I sort of put the two together yeah. you know it's taken hindsight to look back and work out how did I end up what was I doing and so I was doing what everyone around me was doing, you know, very normalised behaviour. I'd kind of like counting macros and, you know, working out in a way that wasn't about celebrating or enjoying my body. It was mm. really about punishing it and changing the shape and feeling guilty if I ate certain food and feeling guilty if I didn't work out. And it was just not a positive mm. place to be. Yeah. And I could have ended up, I think, if I'd have carried on down that route then I could have ended up being quite ill and I'm really pleased that mm. I woke up to it um and it was my eldest daughter who really woke me up to it it was just one day she asked me why I was wearing spinach <laughs> and I just didn't have like a rational response for her mm. and that was sort of my turning point really when I I really started to examine you know my relationship with my body and really challenged some of those messages that were coming at me, making me feel like I needed to, if not change my body, at least be vigilant over it. Mm, like it was this thing yeah, to police. watching, yeah. Yeah, it was like something that I had to keep, like mm. I had to control. I couldn't just trust my body to be, yeah. you know, I had to kind of keep an eye on it, <laughs> like mm. as if it would... And that was really the beginning, really, for me to mm. doing the work that I'm doing now. Because once I started feeling better, I started noticing all the things that were trying to make me feel bad again. Mm. And then in turn, all the things that were coming for my kids to make them feel bad. Yeah. And I almost wished like I could just go back to sleep and not notice it all because it's really there's mm. a period when you start noticing all this stuff. It's really exhausting. I feel angry a lot of the time. Mm. I think I kind of work through that it's like the, the stages of grief isn't it you know <laughs> yeah yeah it's like anything I think like it's so similar I think to anti-racism work as well mm. it's like that noticing what's going on and then it's very very overwhelming because you feel mm. like I can't do anything about this and the system is so big and you yeah. know how do we have agency within this yeah um, but I think you're right and then you get to a point of it feeling um, like you've absorbed it in some way and it feels less exhausting. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and community is mm. so important with this stuff. And I think for me, finding a community of people online and also in real life and having yeah. conversations with people and mm -hmm. friends and my parents and like that really helped me because mm -hmm. I think that unfortunately this stuff, it is systemic and it's so normalised and things like weights, you know, systems of oppression like diet culture and weight stigma are deeply entwined with other systems of oppression yeah. like racism and yeah. ableism. And so for me, it was kind of a, a case of finding a community of people that I could unpick some of that stuff with mm. and feel supported because it's so normalised. You just, mm, you know, the amount of... Yeah, yeah it's happening. just completely... It's mm. like the air that we breathe, isn't it? Mm. I, I find, um, like, I relate to so much of your story in that as well. And I, I found I had kind of shame upon shame 
when realizing also around baby stuff and it was after it was actually while I was still pregnant with my first child and that I in the last sort of week of pregnancy developed like quite severe stretch marks and I remember like crying and then feeling so ashamed <laughs> it's like it's not in line with any of the things that I believe and that disjuncture and realizing like oh this is actually in me in a way that I I didn't ask for <laughs> and um, I found that really kind of difficult to like you say unpack and to work through um, yeah feeling shame around not being a good feminist do you know what I mean yeah. like a lot of oh that oh my gosh absolutely it's really... oh it's awful isn't it it comes for us it comes for us you know we feel bad about our body and then we start to feel good and then if we feel bad again we feel like we're letting the side down yes yeah um, or being a bad role model mm. and this is one thing that I was really really aware of when I was writing the book that I don't want anyone to feel like a bad parent when mm. they're reading this I don't want yeah. anyone or any teachers to be like oh my gosh what have, have I done, done? Yeah. I've realized I've done all this stuff and so I was very keen to share my own experiences of this stuff and mm. sort of say you know what no one has all the answers and yeah. no one is perfect and mm. what I hate is this idea that you have to have all the answers all the time mm. and that we also have to feel good about our body all the time and yeah. actually that's why it's so important to recognize that it is systemic and going back to that thing we were saying right at the very beginning of this mm. interview that it's not all about individual responsibility yeah. Yeah. it's a societal thing and when you can recognize that then that can I think you know take the pressure off a little bit and mm. also be quite reassuring nothing good comes from shame it's not a positive yeah it's It's not a positive feeling and also when we don't acknowledge our shame then that's really Mm. destructive as well isn't it Mm. so and where that goes and kind of leaks into other areas of our lives yeah absolutely how honest are you with your kids about your journey and your process around this Mm. i mean do you do you say to them like this is a journey for you and you don't have all the answers yeah, I think I'm pretty open with them about everything, really, because they mm. do, they are inquisitive. And I think maybe because I'm very open with them, mm. I encourage them to ask questions and have conversations. So if I don't know, like, if I don't know the answer to something, then I'll say, I don't know, let's explore it together. Lovely, and when yeah. it comes to, you know, how I feel about my own body, I don't vocalise when I'm having a bad day because yeah. I don't want them I, I want them to be as innocent from that kind yeah, of no, stuff as possible yeah. yeah but at the same time I do vocalize to them that it's tough to mm. live in the world that we live in that says that we often have to look a certain That's way okay. and what I want them to understand is that while they might not feel like that themselves which I'm really pleased that they don't yet feel like that as far mm. as I know I want them to be mindful that other people might and that if your body looks or functions differently to say, you know, most of the people in your class, then you might feel self-conscious because of all the messages that are telling us that we have to look a certain way. And so I want them to be aware of that Mm -hmm. because I think what's, what's really harmful is that, and I get this as well, because as parents, so often our our instinct is to sort of be like, oh, everything's fine, you look fine. You know, like if a kid mm. says, oh, I'm, there's something wrong with me, your your reaction is to say, there's nothing wrong with you and sort mm. of brush it away because you want them to feel better. Yes. But what that can do is invalidate 
their feelings and mm. shut down a conversation and then make them feel like there's something wrong with them if they are struggling. Mm. But there's nothing wrong with them if they're struggling. Actually, unfortunately, it's very normal. We know that more children are struggling with body image than children who aren't. You know, that mm. that's what the research, Oof. that's what the most recent research shows. Yeah. So actually being open about, you know, actually it's okay that you're struggling with this. Mm. You don't have to feel like this all the time. Um, I've struggled in the past too, and it's not your fault. Mm. You know, it's tough living in this culture that is yeah. putting all these pressures on us. It is tough. Mm. And acknowledging that and then saying, we don't have to just accept that it's but, not inevitable, yes. I guess. okay. And that yeah. there's agency within that. And I yeah. think lots of this also kind of bleeds into consent. It feels like lots around food and around acknowledging, you know, what you want and feeling satiated or anything. Mm-hmm. Um, and I feel like all of those strands lead into kids that are able to say, this is what I need or this is what I want and please don't do this or I don't like that. And I think those conversations feel like vital as well at the moment. That's really Yeah, useful. consent is a huge part of any conversation around body image mm. and kids who have positive body image who know that you know their body is their own not only are they going to be more likely to do things that make their body feel good but they're also going to be more likely to you know kind of hold those boundaries yeah and one mm. my six-year-old her favorite <laughs> Her favourite thing, she'll say no consent, no consent. Like if you, if you, if, if you know, she's tickled, you know, yeah, like yeah. her sister tickles her or, you know, she's, she and she's not in the mood. She'll say no consent. And she, she, love she that. says that and she'll say, or she'll say my body, my rules. That's like another, my body, that. my rules. Like if she wants to wear something. And you're like, oh, maybe don't wear that. My body, my rules. I can't really argue. <laughs> can't with do that. anything. Yeah. <laughs> oh no, it's so lovely that she has that language though, because I think sometimes it is about that when kids they know what they want to say or they know that they're uncomfortable. But if we haven't given them that language to say, firstly, yes, that's what's happening for you, but also you're okay to say that. Yeah. So yeah, they're unable to do it. I love that. I show her that myself. That's something you know. She's wanting to climb on me Mm. like it's been a really busy day and I just need five minutes of Mm. just you know a bit of personal space yeah I will say to her no consent I haven't consented for you to you know get all over me and climb on me and jump on me like I just need Mm. like two minutes to just sit here (laughs) without you touching me (laughs) yeah exactly it's so true it's so funny I also have a very tactile second child and the same thing as she just never slept and she slept on me or she would not be asleep and she just breastfed and breastfed and breastfed and I also yeah now feel more confident to say you know I'm not hurting her to set a boundary around that and to say Mm. I I just need a bit of time without constant hand holding or you know massaging my fingers (laughs) because she'll suck her thumb and hold on to my thumb and she's done that since she was born so if she's really tired after school or something like that she just started but yeah I feel more comfortable now to say oh I'm not I'm not really in the mood for that. I just need a few yeah. moments. I think that's a really positive thing to do yeah. for your kid. And actually, 
in the past I would feel guilty about doing yes, that because I would feel like I'm not giving my kids something that she needs. Yeah. But what I wasn't recognizing was that every time I was giving her something that I felt she needed that was actually really taking away yeah. something from myself that I needed mm. that was depleting me and it mm. was meaning that I wasn't able to be there for her in the way that she needed me to be later so on true. I mean I know it's like a massive cliche you can't pour from an empty cup but yeah. it is kind of true I think that role modeling those moments and holding those boundaries yourself mm. as a parent that's part of promoting positive body image with children yeah. that's teaching her a really mm. really useful important lesson for herself we know mm. with kids they learn through role modeling so yeah. i think that's really good <laughs> and yeah i mean there's lots of work around that i think to do that i feel i'm definitely in process in a lot of this stuff and and feel surprised by it so often i think okay i'm in a kind of good place with this and something pops up and you think oh no <laughs> it's everywhere (laughs) (laughs) but just to say to people that yeah I think that is it's a process and something that unravels as you become more aware of it I'm aware of our time and I'm just thinking about I'd love also something about the joy in which you celebrate bodies so can we have a little dive into that around like joyful experiences of your body and how and what that looks like for you Mm. the first summer after I stopped dieting, we went on holiday and I bought a bikini and it was the first time I'd been on holiday with having been a second time mum. So having had my second baby and I just wore a bikini on holiday. And I remember being nervous about showing my tummy. Mm -hmm. And this is the thing. I, I, I don't know. I, I I have some stretch marks, but not lots. Like I don't know. Not it wouldn't. It would always have been okay for me to show my tummy. Like mm. there's an all. I genuinely believe all bodies are bikini bodies, and we should be allowed to wear whatever we want on the beach. Yeah. But something had told me that my body wasn't good enough to be in a bikini previously. Mm. So the first summer that we went away, and I wore a bikini on holiday, and I enjoyed the feeling of the sun on my tummy. And my tummy wasn't flat, like it wasn't, you know, it, it was just like a normal, I don't know, it was just a tummy. I wasn't even thinking about it. <laughs> yeah, you know? yeah. And just the feeling, just feeling the sun on my tummy and mm. swimming in the water. We, we were at this lake in France and I remember lying on that on the top of the water, like floating and feeling the water like lapping around me. Mm. It was a really hot day, but also like the warmth of the sun on my tummy. And it was just such a wonderful feeling. Mm. And it was tinged slightly because I remember thinking, why didn't I allow myself this experience last year, you know, or the year before that? And I think that for me, I just always go back to these little moments of joy, whether it's dancing in the kitchen with my kids or climbing up a big hill or going swimming freezing cold swimming in the sea or swimming in the pool or whatever it's just about living in the experience of my body Mm. and just enjoying my body for what it can do and what it does for me rather than taking a step outside of myself and thinking what does my body look like in this moment Mm. and that's actually a really difficult thing to do because there are so many things that will try and pull us outside Mm. of our body whether it's you know the way our clothes feel on us whether if they're tight or you know camera phones and Mm. you know wanting to take photos or 
you know, just having like a feeling self-conscious and, and noticing, you know, it particularly, you know, if, if other people are discriminating against you, you know, people are making comments, you mm-hmm. know, whether whether they're like fat phobic comments or, or ableist comments, whatever. There are so many times when people are taken outside of the experience of their body. So for me, I guess I always try and go back to that moment of what it felt like, you know, what it feels okay. like. Um, and with my kids, they live in the experience of their body so, mm, so easily. So just easily. Yeah, and it's just so joyful seeing them just, you know, playing and just kind of being. Mm. And I just think it's just such a gift to have I want them to always feel that and I and I I would have felt like that as a child you know I don't I'm not sure exactly when I lost it or Mm. when I started to you know so the thing that I really love doing and this actually really helps if I'm having a day where I feel like disconnected from my body is just trying to reconnect with how my body feels so doing something really nice like I don't know I really like, I live in the countryside, so I really like going for walks. I like going out in the countryside and being out in the fresh air Mm. and just enjoying the view and thinking, oh, actually it feels, I like the feeling when I've walked up a big hill and I'm slightly out of breath and I can see, you know, this beautiful view or going for a swim Mm. or maybe, I don't know, doing some yoga or or even just resting, Mm. just kind of trying to be gentle and friends with my body rather than see it as something separate to me yes that really being inside of your body and not yeah with this outside view yeah Mm. and I think when I was really struggling when my baby when my second baby was born and I was doing all of that like diet stuff actually I think that's what I needed what I needed was to just give myself some grace and some joyful moments of Mm. just being at one with my body on my own with Mm. no one else you know I I think I needed to go for a walk or have a nice hot bath Mm. have some nice bath oil in the bath or something Mm. and just kind of feel at one really and I know it sounds a bit like people might be listening to this and thinking what is she talking about (laughs) but (laughs) it's that that idea is called embodiment and actually it's a really you know we know that people who feel good about their body it is about feeling at peace and at home in their body. Mm. And that's something that we get wrong a lot of the time. We think that positive body image is all about liking what you see when you look yes. in the mirror. Yes, and it I isn't love that you've said that. that. It yeah. isn't about that. I love that you've said that. Is that feeling being inside? And for me, it also sounds like a it's a mindfulness, is that you're connecting with the sensations of your experience and your body and what it feels like and that it becomes a safe place to be as opposed to an unsafe place to view, you know? Yeah. Um, so yeah. I love that you've made that distinction because yeah, I think there is lots of kind of confusion around that or, you know, um, that people misunderstand that. The irony is, is that diet culture and all these industries that benefit from us feeling bad about our body, they profit from yeah. that deliberate misunderstanding of what mm. body image is because they tell us that if you change the way your body looks, you're going to feel better about yes. your body, yeah. you know, but actually the research shows that that isn't the case because as soon as we put too much value on what our body looks like we are disconnected from how our body feels yeah oh gosh molly thank you so much for (laughs) so generous in the way that you've shared all of this um and just to say yeah thank you for your book i feel like it's one of those books that will always be on my bookshelf it's something that i'll go back to again and again i just know oh Um, thank you that really means a lot i i still am sort of 
processing like when I hear from people who've actually read it and I was so nervous about people reading it not because I didn't think it was you know a good thing but also like I put so much of myself into mm. the book it's such a you feel so very personal. vulnerable knowing it's out there yeah oh no it's absolutely thank beautiful you. yeah I really recommend it um so thanks so much for joining me thank you you enjoyed that as much as I did. I was really grateful to speak with Molly because I know she has a lot going on with her book having just been released and yeah it was really generous of her to give of her time in this way. Um, if you'd like to get in touch with her or follow her on Instagram you can find her, she has three separate accounts. One um, is Molly J Forbes, the other is at Bodycons Podcast and the third is at Body Happy Org. Um, And then I really recommend you having a look at her website, which is www.bodyhappyorg.com. That has loads and loads of resources available for parents, for teachers, some of them free and some of them paid. There's really so much good stuff on there, so I recommend having a look. And I really recommend reading the book. It is, yeah, such a needed book. And I hope you have a happy week and I'll speak to you next time. Bye. Thank you so much for being here today. If you'd like to get in touch, I'm on Instagram at grounded underscore families. You can send me a DM or a voice note to my DMs or an email. I'd so love to hear from you. Please do like, share and subscribe this podcast. It really, really helps to get the podcast out in front of more listeners. And I'll see you again next week. Take care. Bye. Bye.